able to even, um, you know, get write the book, put the Billy book Carson. out. It's doing phenomenal. Your book is phenomenal right here. Uh, the Stage of Time. Forbidden Knowledge really and Secrets of Ancient History. I started digging into it. It's so amazing how similar, you know, our points of view are and everything in, in reference to the ancient past and ancient history. And the amount of re I respect you for the amount of research that you've done. People don't realize what it takes to be able to put this kind of information out in this level of quality. You really have to be a student of, of mysteries and a student of, of the uh, ancient history. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you. So that's really Hey, Billy, it's an honor. I, I really, um, it's amazing to hear those kind words from you, especially coming from someone of, of your um, importance. You know, I'm, it really is an honor. I have not had a chance to travel quite as much as Billy. I'm say I'm jealous is an understatement, I think. Um, but hopefully someday I can get there. Okay, Billy and I are going to jump in now into some slides and we're going to review some evidence in chronological order. And we're going to start by trying to understand where human civilizations came from. You know, a lot of times I meet people who they're sitting down, they're pondering outside, and they're wondering, you know, where do we come from? Where do human civilizations come from? Where does knowledge, mathematics, laws, where do all, where does all that stuff come from? And they, and they honestly like asking that question because they don't know. And of course, if you go and you go through the, um, the education system we have in school, you, you're taught that human civilization is 6,000 years old or less and that everything developed in Mesopotamia, which is true, except for the age is wrong and where it came from is wrong. And what I mean by wrong, that's a, I know that's a pretty um, blunt statement, but we have evidence that tells us where it came from. So we don't have to guess anymore. So many people aren't aware of this information. I think that's one of the things that, that we're trying to correct now. And, and Billy and I doing this work is that we're trying to point out and say, hey, look, we have evidence that directly tells us where all these, these things came from, tells us who we really are, tells us this lost history. And we're now at the point where we're trying to put those pieces together to understand it. And so what, what I'm showing on the screen right now, this is what is known as Eridu. Now, if you wanted to try to find out, you, if you ask yourself, well, what is the evidence that tells us where any of this stuff came from? What, what is, where is it? Where does it come from? Because I, I, don't, I don't really believe this stuff. So, some of this information seems way too far-fetched. You know, it really goes against this doctrine we're told. So provide us some concrete evidence. Well, that evidence comes from four places. And Billy can chime in as we're going here and we discuss it. And I've, I've categorized four cuneiform tablets that provide concrete evidence for all of those questions that I just asked. And those four tablets are the Eridu Genesis, the Sumerian King List, the Code of Hammurabi, and the Legend of Atanya. In each of those cuneiform tablets, it's, it specifically describes where all of those moral laws and codes and mathematics and astronomy, it tells where all that, that stuff came from. And on top of that, the Sumerians clearly state that in, in many other places as well, including cylinder seals that they showed you, okay? And so I wanna just provide you a quick little quote, and Billy is gonna be very familiar with this, that, that is the opening line of the Sumerian king list, okay? And what it says is, when kingship was lowered from heaven, kingship was an eridu. Right, Billy? Absolutely, and that's huge because that gives us an idea of where the very first city was here on earth. Uh, and uh, where they, where these kings or these gods, quote unquote, kind of kickstarted civilization here. Uh, I really think it was like a breakaway civilization from their planet to here. And, and that's one of the, that's one of these great mysteries that still remains is, 
you know, where if, if all this knowledge was handed down and given, first, the first question, of course, is where did it come from and who provided it, right? And those, and those questions then lead to asking even more questions that go deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole, trying to figure out where, where the origins of everything come from. Now, I wanted, to, I wanted to point out something is that some people have looked at the Sumerian king list and they said, okay, that stuff seems, sounds like a fairy tale. It just can't be real. Well, the way that you can, can know that something like the Sumerian king list is authentic is to then compare the information that's, that's discussed in it with another cuneiform tablet. And I want to mention that, I've, and I've mentioned this before in other shows, some of these tablets came from completely different locations, sometimes even hundreds of miles away. So to have information be carried over shows you that, number one, that information is probably true. And number two, it's, it's most likely come from a civilization that was connected. And so where that comes from, that, that we can find that same information, is the area of Genesis. And that is one of these cuneiform tablets that I think is largely unknown. And, and, and is discussed very little. And I have the full translations from, including the era, era of Genesis in, in the stage of time, because that's how important this is, in my opinion. So what the era of Genesis states, I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs, because again, I want you to notice those terms. The terms I want you to look for are, when you read the Sumerian king list, it mentions these certain cities in chronological order that were founded, okay? It says, Eridu was the first city on earth. Then it says, that Bad Tavira was the second city, followed by the Rock, Sippar, and then finally Sharupak. Now, it's, what's important to understand about that is that Sharupak is mentioned in these tablets as being the last city in Mesopotamia before it was all destroyed and everything had to start over again, okay? So what the Eridu Genesis says is it starts by saying, when the royal scepter was coming down from heaven, the august crown and the royal throne being already down from heaven, the king regularly performed to perfection the august divine services and offices and laid the bricks of those cities in pure spots. The firstling of the cities, Eridu, she gave to the leader, Nudamud. The second, Bad Tibira, she gave to the prince and the sacred one. The third, Larak, she gave to Palisad. The fourth, Sippar, she gave to the gallant Utu. The fifth, Sharupak, she gave to Ansud. And so, not only does it, it's not like it mentions one of those cities or another one of those cities. Every single one is exactly mentioned in the order that the Sumerian king list says. Mm -hmm. Now, and I want Billy to chime in after this. What's important about that is if you add up the dates given for what they call shars, when they listed out the reigns of these kings that ruled these cities, you get a history that would go back 200,000 years ago. And I know that would throw a wrench in everything we've ever been taught, especially when you look at how we're told in school that human civilization is less than 6,000 years old. So basically, Billy, this paints an entirely different picture about our past, doesn't it? Uh, this is incredible because it shatters our religious systems literally in one second. And uh, this is why this information is not taught in schools, because obviously the religious systems are a multi-trillion dollar industry and they can't have people uh, just going into this ancient information and learning it and bypassing that system. But um, this is really earth-shedding information, the fact that you can discover this information on two different stone tablets. And one thing I really want to point out, not the fact that they're so far apart, but, but the fact that somebody took the time to etch these into clay with a cuneiform stylus. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it being done, but I have. Uh, at, uh, there's a professor you know, at the uh, Cambridge uh, Library 
uh, and he does these, uh, and he has a YouTube channel where he shows you how to do it. And let me tell you something. The British Museum, there's also uh, Mr. Finkel, who does it as well, does an excellent job showing how to do the cuneiform. He writes some cuneiform into some wet clay. It's such a tedious process. And you're thinking, tens of thousands of years ago, somebody's got to sit down, get the clay out, get a stylus out, and take so many hours upon hours to create this information and then bake it and so forth so it can stand withstand the test of time. They didn't have time to do this for fun. This wasn't just like, I'm going to sit down and make a whole cuneiform tablet today just for the heck of it and make up some information. <laughs> they really put down important uh, information into these tablets, things they thought would be prudent for future generations to see. Exactly. And, and it's not even just that they wanted, you know, these specific stories to be known because, oh, this was just an event that occurred. They were so smart that these stories that they created were written in such a way that it's like this perfect harmonic rhythm to them. And, it, and it, at the same time, while they describe both actual events that occur in the past and this important symbolism and all these metaphors and these lessons that we can learn along the way, but they provide a complete glimpse and this lost viewpoint into where human origins came from and where it all began in the, ver in the, in the very first place. I mean, try to imagine over 50,000 years ago, just try to imagine, I mean, think of everything that human civilization has accomplished in the last 500 years. Mm -hmm. Now try to imagine more than 50,000 years ago, these civilizations that are all being handed this information and they're rising up and agriculture is blossoming all around the planet. And you're seeing this emergence of human civilization that's spreading out around the planet. And then what happens? Well, it reaches a certain, certain sophistication and then it's wiped out and destroyed. And then human civilization has to rebuild itself again. Now, when I mentioned those four tablets that are th that I said are crucial, I didn't read any anything from the last two that I mentioned, but I want to bring it up. How do you know that these events occurred? Like, how do we know these, what I just mentioned, Eridu and, and Sharupak, how do we know those cities were from that far ago, right? How do we know how old they are? How do we know how to accurately create this timeline? You basically have to look at evidence from a large spectrum of of, of um, our area to, to understand. And the first mm -hmm. thing you want to look at is you compare things like geologic evidence you get from around the world, looking at, oh my God, the landscape was disastrously scarred by these events that occurred in the last ice age. And then you look at things like ice core samples and you can pinpoint when these different climatic zones occurred. And then you can take these ancient cuneiform stories and then match them up based on the events they describe and how old they say they are. So when the Sumerian king list and, um, and, the, and the Eridu Genesis talk about these ancient cities, you, people that are then going to say, well, well, how do we distinguish what's before and what's after? Here's where really paying attention to this stuff comes in, comes in important. And you look at something like the legend of Batania. And here's yet again another one of these incredibly important tablets that I hear almost nobody talk about. Okay, and that is remarkable because the Legend of Atanya is the only tablet that talks about the events that occurred right after the flood. It specifically mentions that there was a city in Mesopotamia that was then created, the first one of all. So you could call Eridu the first city in human civilization ever, according to these records. Then the first city after everything was destroyed was called Kish. And Kish is what was known as these post-Diluvian. Um, civilizations, okay? And that's that means that everything we know of 
when we think of um, all these things handed, re-handed down and then civilization restarting in Mesopotamia like we're told in school, that's all part of this post-Diluvian history. This is all part of this new epic that occurred with this restarting of human civilization over again. And that's why these time periods are so confused, wouldn't you say, Billy? Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's so, it gets a little convoluted, so you really got to pay attention. And I'm glad you brought up the ice cores. Um, you know, there's a show by Greg Braden, the famous Greg Braden, uh, great guy. I uh, had the pleasure of meeting him and being in some episodes with him on a few shows. He's on a show called Missing Links. Uh, it's on Gaia. But he talks about the, the, that entire first episode on season one is all about the ice core samples. Digging into the ice cores, matching it up, like you just said, the ancient history and events, global events that have happened, and you get the records stored in the ice core. You can detect when we've had global warming in the past, and then you begin to see this cycle that it happens every so many thousands of years. You begin to see the cycle of every so many thousands of years you get an ice age. You begin to see the cycle of every so many thousands of years you get some type of a geological disaster that happens on the planet. You can see the different oxygen levels, different atmospheric gases, all the plant life. All that information is in the ice core. So, I mean, literally, when you study these ice cores, you can now then predict the future of the planet. And to be honest with you, a lot of people are really getting worried about the global warming and everything else. We're right on track with the ice core setting we're going to be exactly right now. This is not something, to be honest with you, out of the ordinary. It's actually something that's part of our cyclical, cyclical nature of this um, geological pattern on this planet. Uh, and but, but the amazing thing is those ice cores line up with these ancient tablets, which is why I talk about the fact that I really believe that the Great Sphinx and the Great Pyramid are, are probably about 36,000 years old. Because if you go back two additional processional periods to match up the the, uh, the Sphinx with the constellation of Leo, you end up around 36,000 years ago when according to the ice cores and according to the animal tablets, it's the perfect time to build the Giza Plateau, to build the Great Pyramid. So it kind of really gives you, it helps you paint a, a, a good picture about what's going on. And the other thing is, like you said, finding these tablets all around the world, Chief Joseph, which was a Native American Indian that was unburied in North America, was unburied from a, a, a burial tomb North America and what was in his pocket, Sumerian tablet written in cuneiform text. So the Sumerians had contact with Native American, indigenous Native Americans, thousands of years ago in the North Americas, proving again that they had traveled the entire globe. They, they also found in uh, in Mesoamerica Sumerian uh, writing, which they call Proto-Sumerian, but that's even on Wikipedia. I mean, anybody can look it up. Right. Cyclical warming and cooling. 
They even had a metric system back then. So when I tell people about, you know, the fact that the Grand Gallery and the Great Pyramid is the longitude of the numbers match the speed of light by meters per second, well, people go, oh, no, we didn't have meters back then. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> they had meters thousands of years ago. Everything we have now is just rediscovery. Exactly. That's really well said. And we're going to be getting into some of those some of those pieces of evidence from other parts of the world that prove that there was this global civilization and global connection that once occurred around the planet that was completely destroyed and wiped out. And Billy, you made some some excellent points there. Is and, and I want to address a couple of them. Is um, right now, yes, we're going through another one of these time periods. Should this cyclical nature time period don't allow the media to distract you and, and, and confuse you over what's going on right now. Oh, this warming that's occurring on the earth, completely just human induced, nothing to worry about. We're just gonna fix things up, cool things down. We're, we'll be all set. Except for the fact that we're right in line with another one of these cycles that I think is based on solar cycles um, that occur where you get extreme warming and then, and then a period of extreme cooling over and over and over again. And in between each one of those events, you get a disaster. Now, how big that disaster is going to be is depends on a lot of factors, especially if you have an ice age. And that's why I don't, I want to both remind people that that's why this important is this, this information is so important to learn right now, because we're in this window where, where we have all of this available to us and we don't know how long that window is going to be. And secondly, thankfully, this is the part where I pull the positive direction um, on this discussion is that. We don't have an ice age right now. And that's something that a lot of people, it gets past and they say, oh my God, these events that occurred back then, they're gonna be just as bad right now. Well, they, they, they sort of can't be because without that ice age and having one to two miles of ice above where I'm sitting right now, <laughs> talking to you, you, you're not gonna have that massive outburst of water that flooded, which is what was one of the major components, I believe, behind what they described as being the great deluge. Now, I do think that there is um, earthquake and, and um, volcanic activity that occurs as well. And I'm not going to um, poo-poo the idea that we're, we're not going to have challenges that are going to be coming up in our future. But we just have to understand and, and really look back at these events in history and then learn from them and try to figure out if we're going to go the same route that these ancient civilizations did and disappear, or if we're going to be able to stand the test of time and our civilization is going to continue. And so that's why we're at a crossroads right now, because we need to understand that the Maya, the Aztec, the Hopi, the Hindu, the Cherokee, and then many, many other ancient cultures around the world, they clearly state in their, in their ancient writings and between, in, in their stories, they say that, that human civilization today, is this is either the third or the fourth epic that, that we've had in our past. That means that human civilizations have gone through these cycles of rising up and then to being destroyed over and over again. And we're at the third or fourth of those time periods. And that's pretty mind blowing to, to, to wrap your head around and consider, I think, Billy, don't you? Oh, absolutely. It tells you that we're in a grand cycle, just like the, uh, the Indians talk about the native, you know, not the native American Indians, but the Indians in the East, when they're talking about these grand cycles of the Yugas and the rise and fall of civilizations. Uh, and, you know, uh, the nature of this universe is cyclical and the rise and fall of civilizations is cyclical and Tho talks about this in the Emerald Tablets where he talks about the fact that he's actually traveled to other planets to watch civilizations rise and fall so we're not the only ones that go through this situation according to Tho 
This happens all throughout the entire universe. Civilizations have this cyclical nature to them where they rise and fall. So we're not, you know, we're not the exception. The same thing happens here. Uh, and we're living, you brought up a very good point. We're living in a very small window uh, of opportunity here where we're able to uh, enjoy this planet, enjoy the beauty of nature, to flourish. Uh, to, and, and really, it's a shame when you see this tiny, when you can really understand how small this window is. It's, it's, it's smaller than a blink of an eye. It's quicker than a blink of an eye. Geologic time-wise, yeah. Geologically time-wise, yeah. So we're here, and we're battling each other and fighting each other, and we're pulling each other apart. We should be spending this little bit of precious time that we have to love each other, to have show unconditional love to your brother and your sister, to unite, to make, you know, and maybe even to find a way if we join up to break this cycle or maybe, uh, you know, travel the stars and do things that we have an opportunity to do while we have this window of opportunity here before the next geological disaster. And it's not a, it's not to be negative. It's just that it's just part of life. Just like you, your avatar body is born and it grows up and it lives. And when it wears out, it passes on. Uh, you know, the same thing happens, uh, you know, in, in these windows where you have uh, the uh, areas where it, the galactic space is clear of debris and planets can, can prosper and grow and develop life. And then there's times where that doesn't happen anymore for a short period of time. So we've got to be happy with what we have here. We've got to really start to love each other and enjoy the opportunity, this window of opportunity that we do have on this planet. Very well said. And that's essentially leading us into, well, how far back do we go? And, you know, if, if, if we had the cyclical nature of, of destruction over and over and over again, you know, are we going to make it to the next epic, to the next stage, like you said? Just imagine what the future of humanity could be. Thoth talks about that all the time. You know, what the potential of what we have is almost infinite. It's, it's, um, it's infinite, except that we are, are, are dramatically held back by all these things that distract us and keep us locked in this illusion of the material world. And that's why Thoth calls us, we're the children of men. We're not men. We're not yeah. mankind. We're the children of men because we're all like these little kids that refuse to accept what we who really we really are and what defines the nature of reality we, we get so distracted by this physical body you know this is me this is me i need as much as i can before i die because i can't take it with me except that we're just eternal conscious energy and you can't take anything physical with you right. the only thing that matters is what you do during this life and what you leave behind in your legacy for the future that's really all that matters mm -hmm. and so on that note um, we're going to get into some of these really controversial topics because we're going to go back even further. And when, when we discuss in places like the Era to Genesis and Sumerian Kinglist, when it discusses how the first city was Eridu and then all these other cities emerged afterwards, people would scratch their head and be like, well, what else does it say, right? Is it, does it say anything else about what, what happened before that? What about, what about human civilizations? You know, I don't feel like a, an ape. You know, I, I really, I really, this, everything in this life tells me that I'm something different from an ape. Well, evidence clearly states the opposite of what we've been told in school through this Darwinian evolution aspect of where we're told that Neanderthals and Denisovians came along and started slowly developing. And then we broke away and then we had this rapid developing and then we ended up where we are. Except the problem is they don't explain at all how the human brain doubled in size in only a small time period or all of these strange things about both why we have all these genetic abnormalities and you know we don't have hair on our body. We, we, if we go on to nature and we try to, try to survive in this world, we will die. 
it's almost like if you look at it from the outside like an observer it's like we're not really from here it's like we're just here as visitors and stewards here to learn and grow whereas what we're told is that we're just sort of this ape that got here where we are because of survival of the fittest and because of that we can do whatever we want right billy right and that's i totally don't agree with that i believe that there's micro uh changes of you know that that uh, organisms are capable of but the macro changes like what they you know they're describing in this evolution to go from a monkey to a human being it would take i mean probably billions of years i mean even just uh, a two percent variance which is the difference between us and a chimpanzee uh, that two percent variance literally takes multi-millions of years if they were to quote-unquote be real uh, macro evolution uh, and so I really do believe after looking at the research, after analyzing information in biology, having to do with chromosome number two being fused in the human genome, uh, having the telomere caps put on the end of chromosome number two, and geneticists, mainstream geneticists have said this had to be done in a the laboratory. They said it out their own mouths. They've written this down. This is like, you know, well known, but they can't just say who did it, but they can tell you it seems to happen around 200,000 years ago. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Isn't that the same age we gave? If you add up all of the, the dates for the reigns of these cities, you get just over 200,000 years ago, which would fall in line with the first city ever created, this whole I, this old biblical story with Adam and Eve and the creation mm -hmm. of man, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so you start to take these biblical stories, right, that we think are all just myth, and then you take the, these direct evidence from these cuneiform tablets, and then you take all this genetic data, and you look at uh, look at all of it on this holistic viewpoint, and all of a sudden you start to see that the story of what we've been told about who we are is extremely antiquated, biased, and inaccurate. And I actually go one step further to say that it was deliberately chosen. See, yeah. Darwin, if, if you look into Darwin and you look into his theories, he wrote confidently, he stated, and this is something that a lot of people don't bring up, is that he expected that his theories were gonna be disproved in the future. He, he mm -hmm. said that. He, he said, said that. he expected his theories to be disproved in the future because he saw holes in his logic. Mm -hmm. And he saw holes in what he was seeing around him. And he knew that. I, I, I know I really, um, I hammer on Darwin pretty bad. But the, the more you look at it, the more you can actually see that Darwin didn't even, like I said, he didn't even think that his theories were going to be something that stood the test of time. But what happened is religion and other organizations grabbed onto Darwin because they said, here is something we can use. Yeah. What happens if human beings view their existence as an ape? You know what I mean, Billy? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If someone perceives themselves as just an ape and that yeah. brain is created and that consciousness is created by the brain, Billy, I'm gonna ask you, how would that change both what we do here and our perspective in the universe? somebody uh, thought that they really uh, came from apes and that uh, consciousness comes from the brain it will limit you um, because now you have a limited viewpoint of, uh, of where you came from and how you got to this point I think that if you um, that really locks you into the religious system I think that if people understand that we were uh, seated on this planet and then a little much later genetically modified maybe even again by these Anunnaki beings or these Atlantean beings at some point according to the ancient texts but understanding that consciousness is not created in the brain, that consciousness is downloaded from the source. And I think that um, that will really expand people's uh, mentality to understand that they're part of something much bigger than this simple evolutionary type of a fairy tale 
they're really part of the God, the, the, the God divine energy that's flowing through the entire universe. And that the same divine energy that is creating everything that we consider to be matter in the third dimension and reality in the third dimension is the same divine energy flowing through and coursing through their veins. Uh, and, um, you know, there was a study and a scientific study done where they took people and they put them in rooms and they put them in dark rooms and they put these electrodes on their head, connected them to a computer. They wanted to see what people's uh, brain electronically looked like on a computer after looking at specific images so they can see how the brain reacts to information and digital information and images. Well, they found out something amazing by accident. So they spaced these images 10 seconds apart. They would put up something like a serene image of a lake view or an ocean a bed of roses, then a horrific scene like somebody getting murdered or stabbed or shot, and then a weird scene like kind of in the middle, like a building on fire and things like that. So all of a sudden, what started happening is the data readout on the computer started uh, telling the computer what the next image was going to be to seven seconds in advance. So that proves that we're getting a download of information from the future or from maybe real time, and we're not living in real time. So again, the brain doesn't create consciousness, it downloads it. The, every case study they did, it worked out the same way. After a few minutes, the human brain was picking up the next image and transmitting it to the computer before the image showed up on the screen. Every case study they did. So these, this is how powerful we truly are. Our brain has billions of magnetite crystals. We download information directly from space-time uh, and we bring it into our reality tunnel so that we can operate within it. Uh, but that's a whole other point of view that they don't really want us to know. They want us to keep us very locked in and, and, and focused on, you know, eight to human and 6,000 years and all this other kind of crazy stuff. But the true reality is we are much bigger and much more important than some, than this evolutionary fairy tale that's been taught. That's right. And that's really well said, Billy. I could not agree more. Uh, what I wanted to say on in regards to that is um, one of the examples I give that I talk about a lot is um, human beings right now perceive themselves as just this animal, right? Just this advanced animal. And it's like they're in this giant fenced in pen and they're all going to work and they're all doing what they're told. And they have, they live generally these very mundane lives. You know, we, we just come home, we watch TV, we maybe mm -hmm. we go out for a hike every once in a while, we go out to do something, but largely our lives are very um, uneventful. And, and then before we die, that's why the regrets of most people is that they never really did anything. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, so those are, that's this, form of conformity that we talk about where people, the perception of reality that's been created here is not simply just based on some scientist that created it and oh, that's what all the evidence says. So we're going to go along with that. It's actually a paradigm to control our consciousness and how we perceive reality here. Because we're about to read some cuneiform tablets that completely contradict what we're told. And you're going to see how this mindset could control human civilizations. So get, getting back before we start that, getting back to I want to bring up a point, getting back to this farm of conformity. Um, those animals that are in that farm, doing what they're doing on a daily basis, going to some dead-end job and wasting all their energy and time, and then they die and they wonder what they spend all their time doing. If those animals, and I, I use that animal as, that term animal as just a, an example because we're not really animals at all, are we? But if those animals realize that they're not farm animals at all, and that they're actually this incredible being that doesn't belong caged at all. It belongs, you know, doesn't belong having its wings clipped. It belongs out ex expanding consciousness and reaching the infinite stars and all these things, whereas the complete opposite is happening right now. And, and when those, when you discover the truth and when you read these ancient translations and tablets, and when you look at all this data, it's like finding a hole in that fence. 
and running away and never coming back ever again. But the challenge that I put to every single person here, and I bring this up in my previous book, the challenge, and it goes along with Plato's cave, that, that the idea that everyone's trapped by these illusions is that you have, when you break out of that pen and you run away and the sun is basking on you and you're free, the challenge then becomes you have to come back. You have to come back and save the rest of the animals that are in that farm or they're not going to make it out. And that collective of humanity is going to go down that road that other civilizations did and we're going to be wiped out and we're going to disappear and become a myth just like they did because we're not learning the fundamental lessons we need to right now to make changes and reach the next level of our consciousness. So, so on that note, Billy, let's go into what actually says in these tablets and discusses it. Okay. And so, and so we're going to be starting with um, we're going to be starting what's called the Enuma Elish, and I know it's very dear to your heart, Billy, because it's one of the ones yeah. that I know you talk about um, mo among the most of all. And the Enuma Elish was found in the Ashurbanipal Library, as I mentioned, in 1849. Mm -hmm. And there's been many translations and different versions of it that have been brought up. And, and I want to also just mention before we bring that up that it may be amazing for some to read and understand that you'll, bring, you'll, you'll read one version of the Enuma Elish, then you'll read another version, like the Babylonian version, you'll notice that they're different. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to bring up is that there is a competition among these gods for who created mankind and who mm -hmm. can get credit for being their savior and their, and their fa great father. And so yeah. if you read Babylonian versions of what we're about to read right now, you find out that it says that Marduk created mankind. Okay. Right. And we're gonna, we can get into it and talk about that as well, but it's this competition for who can be the savior and who could be the, the, the great creator of, of our species. So in the version we're going to be reading, it's a version that came out of Nineveh, and it's the version that I feel is the most accurate. Um, and it's, it was translated by uh, great translators like Stephanie Daly and George Smith, some of the, some of the best that have been out there. Um, and so the Enuma Elish starts by saying, in, in this, from where we're going to begin, it says, they bound him, holding him before Ea. They inflicted the penalty on him and severed his, his blood vessels. From his blood, he, Ea, created mankind, on whom he imposed the service of the gods and set the gods free. And then it says, after the wise Ea had created mankind and had imposed the service of the gods upon them, that task is beyond comprehension. The gods were then divided. All the Anunnaki into upper and lower groups. He assigned 300 in the heavens to guard the decrees of Anu and appoint them as a guard. Tablet six. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's amazing, yeah. I mean, it, it just tells you right there. And Billy, I'm sure you know that that same description is almost um, referenced um, exactly in the Atrahasis as well. Isn't that, isn't that just mind-boggling with all these questions yeah. that people have? It's amazing that the Archeasis epic and this have so many similar verses in them. So it tells you that it's, it's right on point. You know, it's really amazing. And, uh, and the thing that I like about the, the Enuma Elish is the fact that it mentions the Anunnaki, it mentions uh, Marduk or, or the Nibiru planet, and depending on the version that you're reading. And you can find Marduk in the modern day Bible. You can find him in the Torah. You can find these names through the American Library. So it's not even been hidden. It's there, but people have just never paid attention to it. Well, let's, let's try to have people understand they might not know these names. So Ea, that's mentioned directly in this translation that we read, his name originally was known as Ea before he came here. And then he, his title was then changed to Enki. Okay, now, so Enki, I'm just going to refer to him as Enki, that was because that was his later, his later name. But Enki 
is the one that is credited in every single ancient text except some of these other versions that were later re re rewritten as being the creator of mankind. And he was, he was said to be this great being that created mankind to do the workload of the gods. And actually the phrase I like even more, if you go read the Adrahasis, which those translations are in the stage of time, is it the, the phrase that it gives in the Adrahasis is even better. It says, they created mankind specifically for the role of the, to, to do the role of the gods, but it says the phrase, to undo the chain to set them free. Hmm. Undo the chain to set them free. Now, I want to tell you what I think about that, and then maybe you can mention what you think, Billy. Um, but but I, I believe that that references the chain of the physical reality of the third dimension and being mortal. I think mm -hmm. the beings used human, the human race as a way to achieve immortality and also probably to achieve a non-physical um, ex existence here where they could go into upper dimensions and basically rule over us because we exist in a, in a lower state of awareness than they do. And, and, then, and then you can chime in, but I want to also mention is that, well, who is Marduk? Because we brought that up. Marduk is credited as being the first son of, of Enki, Ea. And so this competition arose between these younger generation gods and the older generation gods who were competing here on, on, on who could rewrite everything, who could become the savior, who could become the great, the great god here. And that's what this competition has been over and over and over again. And that's why Billy and I try to fight so hard to try to get the most accurate information because it's a, it's a battle of information and it's a battle of understanding the, the truth, right, Billy? Oh, it's a big battle. I mean, uh, you know, even I just made a post on Instagram about the fact that Marduk, also known as Amun-Ra, is responsible for the defacing of a lot of these statues and these hieroglyphs around Egypt. And a lot of people got immediately offended and they're really going crazy on the comments here. When I, when I get off of this, this show with you, I'm going to check my comments. It's going to be real hectic because people don't want to... Um, uh, come to terms with the fact that this was done in deep antiquity. I've been to Egypt. I've seen the thousands upon thousands of defaced gods and when the hieroglyphs. I'm talking about temples with glyphs, probably, I would say, two, three hundred thousand glyphs in one temple, all chipped away. Faces of all of the uh, statues broken off. And these go way back further than Napoleon. You know, they want to say Napoleon went and shot the noses off and people didn't want people to know that there were some black people in Egypt. That's what, no. Amun-Ra, also known as Marduk, is the one who had this done because why? Because he wants to be known as the, only, the one and true only God, the same term that actually made it into the modern-day Bible. Uh, you know, they had, these guys had big egos. I mean, big, big, big egos, man. Um, and they were battling each other consistently to be the one to do this and the one to do that. And matter of fact, if you look in the modern-day Bible, look at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, and especially when you figure out that the word God in the Bible is mistranslated with God's singular, it's supposed to be God's plural, everywhere in the entire Bible. Yeah. It was purposefully done. In the book of Deuteronomy, you have these gods, or Marduk and his cousins and his nephews and everybody else, fighting each other and sending humans across to another area where people that they don't know, never met before, to battle them, to, to rob and rape and steal and everything else. These are the actual words used in the modern-day Bible, rape, kill, murder. Uh, and after the forth, you know, and they were battling each other using humans as as cattle, kind of like we do today. We take somebody out of school, we send them halfway around the world, put them in the military, tell them to go blow up a guy on a camel so he can get a free education. But it's a mind trick we played on the people now. So they've got these gods doing the same thing today as they did in ancient times. Uh, but uh, it's really amazing how they wanted to be able to take claim for everything. And you see it passed down to the pharaohs. The pharaohs they take claim for a tomb that wasn't theirs. 
would take claim for a pyramid that they didn't really build. They take claim for anything because they want to have that. Uh, they want to have that reputation that added to their bio. That legacy, know? right? Yeah, that legacy is crazy. It's and and that's where it really comes down to. Um, and that legacy is what is being fought over right now. That 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 battle has not ended. It's just we don't perceive it the same way because our understanding of linear time um, is is different than perhaps others. Um, yeah. We exist in a certain kind of 24-hour cycle based on this 12-hour clock. And it's really interesting to, if you look at the origins of where that came from and how that rules everything. Because how we perceive time is how we perceive events and how we perceive the, um, how things go over the course of history. Um, and I want to bring up a couple little interesting points uh, as we talk about human origins is that, and we really touched on that well when Billy was discussing how you know, we download consciousness or we're like antennas for consciousness. And then we're really these beings that are here that didn't arise from just simply just an evolved state. Now, I do, I do believe that human beings are a product that includes um, a primitive um, ape, but that as like a blueprint, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that that's our complete origins. Um, if, let me give you an example. I think this is one of the best examples to really look at this, to disprove what, what has been taught. Billy brought up what's called micro versus macro. Micro means very small, macro means larger. And so, and that's one of the things that I, I talk about in the stage of time a lot is that like Lloyd Pye says, evolution as we've been taught is much more likely to be on a micro scale than on a macro scale. Meaning that small things do happen over time based on the environments and things that occur, but large things either take a really, really long time or they did not happen the way that we're told. And I think the same thing happened with humanity and the human race. Because if, if you look at how far back the human race goes and everything we've left behind in writings, everything we've left behind in observations throughout time, there's never been one mention ever of an ape that's been observed changing on a level that we can understand that would be related to evolution. Yes, there's apes that can be taught, gorillas and things that can be taught how to read certain things and, and certain intelligence because they do have an intelligence that can reach a certain level and that is rather intelligent but it's nowhere on the same scale of what human consciousness and the human brain is capable of on or even on the same the same level because when we look at human beings and the the fact that we only have 46 chromosomes instead of the 48 that's found in most primates you really can see that there's been this gen genetic manipulation that's occurred over time and I don't even think that that happened once. Bill, and I want your, your opinion, Billy, but it seems like if you read some of these stories and what they spoke about in these tablets is that humans were becoming, were way too smart and way too conscious. And we were uh, potentially tampered with and, and then dumbed down, right? That's exactly right. I mean, I just talked about this at a lecture at Disclosure Fest uh, in California a few months ago. The fact that our, our immediate cousins right behind us to me, were much smarter than us. Just based off of what I've read and researched, they were probably more, more, not maybe technologically smarter, that's potential, that's potential they were, but I think that they were more smarter, smarter spiritually, more in tune with nature, more in tune with the human resonant frequency of the earth. They were using the magnetite crystals in their brains. They may have even been telepathic. Uh, they may have had more DNA connected to the avatar system. Right now we have this quote unquote junk DNA, which is not really junk, it's disconnected. We've been disconnected from the higher realms and higher levels by these Anunnaki people uh, to, to keep us a little bit more dumbed down. Our brains, uh, our, our pineal glands are probably shrunk a little bit smaller. 
than our, than our immediate cousins and making us into this homo sapiens sapien uh, being right now that we're in this new biological avatar. Uh, they've got us in a way where they've kind of put a cap on us, literally. They put a cap on us physically with their telomere caps, and then they put a cap on us. Look, people who don't know what telomeres are, on the end of chromosome number two, scientists, geneticists discovered that chromosome number two was fused together, taken out, fused together, and a cap was put on each end, and these caps are like buffer material of genetic uh, information. So every time that your cells DNA replicate, it, nothing gets lost in translation. However, these buffer caps run out of material. What's interesting is when you go to the biblical account of the Tower of Babel, you discover that uh, human beings were working together on one accord to build this tower to the heavens. And whether it was a space tower, whether it was a, a, a cargo cult type of a tower mimicking what the Anunnaki or these Atlantean people had built, or whether it was just a tower that they came together and decided to build this tower, doesn't really matter. What happens in Lil, who's known as Yahweh in the modern-day Bible, he gets he comes back and realizes the humans are getting too smart. They're getting too intelligent. I mean, this is crazy. He even says, out of his own mouth, no matter what they set their minds to do, they can achieve it. So he says at that point, first he destroys the tower, then he says, my seed shall not abide in man forever. So we were living for a very, very long time back then. This is well documented, though. It's written about, well, and a lot of ancient uh, civilizations talk about the fact that human beings were living for many hundreds and sometimes thousands of years. He said, my seed shall not abide in man forever. His years shall be 120. Well, Harvard scientists just recently, recently discovered two years ago that the under the most pristine conditions, a human being can only live to 120 years backing up ancient texts with modern science. And then they discovered these telomere caps and they, they discovered how to stop the telomere caps from shrinking in mice. So they, uh, they then uh, uh, had mice living three times their normal lifespan, this new technique that they use on telomeres, which means that they can then now do it on human beings as well. So that the possibility for us to live for hundreds of years or even thousands of years is well within reach of modern science at this particular moment. But again, the scientists, now, like I said earlier, we're saying that they don't know who did this, but it happened about 200,000 years ago. This is all really coming together, the culmination of science, modern science, backing up these ancient tablets, adding more credence to what we're talking about, and really adding, right now, giving us the evidence that we need to talk about these topics and bring it to everybody out in the world. That's right. That was really well said, Billy, and I, I couldn't agree more. It's If you think of it as why would they want to, why would that need to be done, right? So if you were let's call you you an overlord of human civilization. If human beings could live for hundreds of years, if not more than a thousand years, think about how much knowledge you could obtain in that amount of time. Think yeah. about how much, how, how much fundamentally you could change and reach these higher states and all of this. So it was realized that, well, it'd be a lot easier to prevent that by just making so they, they would only die at a certain age which actually, if you look at the potential of what the Emerald Tablet says and the Sumerian King List and the others about how long even humans or other beings could potentially live, um, 120 years is, is like a little, it's like a yeah. little flick of your fingers is actually nothing if you look nothing. at how far back time goes and these civil, how long these civilizations ruled for and all these things. And you brought up those great points is that here we have scientists that are verifying that these things occurred to our DNA a certain amount of years ago, and you're getting the same cuneiform tablets that then back them up by not only saying that human civilization was created at the same time, and then showing the, the long reigns of these great bloodline kings, proving that human beings also lived longer, then you see the destruction of all of that and how we had to restart over again, and, and then the human lives became less and less over time to where we got now. Um, I think that 
you see all these shows where they talk about the telekinesis abilities of, of mm. certain special individuals and all of this stuff. And you read the Emerald Tablets and a lot of this other, these ancient texts as well. And they all clearly state that human beings used to have all these gifts, yep. all these abilities and, and live a long time. And all of those things were taken away from us to prevent a lot of those um, changes that were occurring to keep us in this um, this never-ending loop of, of how I what I feel is that we essentially live this life we can't we we spell all the energy until we're done and then we have mm -hmm. to do it all over again over mm -hmm. and over and over again and yeah. that's that chain I think that's that chain that, that they did that they that un, undid the chain to that allowed them to be free was essentially making us be the ones that do that that life that they used to have to do having to live another life again and do it all over again and have to grow up again and learn everything. They essentially achieved immortality and, and, and were able to rise above that. Whereas we're stuck, not only do we not know the truth, but we're kept in this paradigm as almost like mental slaves. When you say, yeah. really? Absolutely. I mean, you hit it right on the head. We're literally trapped in this, uh, this spiritual cycle as well, you know? So once the avatar body, uh, has broken down and, and dilapidated and decides to die, and then your spirit is released back into the universal consciousness. It then becomes recycled right back into the system again. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the Anunnaki, these Atlantean people, they had discovered a way to, to surpass uh, this recycling. And they've also discovered a way to, you know, Phil talks about consciously incarnating at will. They also talked about having these avatar bodies on standby and regeneration chambers, which I'm sure Earth wasn't just the only place that they had one. They had one in the halls of Lamenti, which was discovered. I talked about it in my book, Underneath the Great Pyramid. extends about a mile out underneath the Giza Plateau. Hundreds of rooms down there, exactly what those said they were, where they would put a body in and leave the body in there, a human body or avatar body, because it wasn't exactly a human, because he said that uh, while one body was... Uh, was uh, basically being recharged he would walk amongst men in another body but walk amongst men but unlike a man so they were creating these avatars and what have we now discovered in modern science we can take literally a skin cell off of your body we can then put it in a laboratory condition and turn that skin cell into a stem cell and we can grow that stem cell into an entire clone of you now with the technology we have now that we have these um uh dna hard drives and some of the technology being developed at DARPA and also at the 2045 project by Ray Kurzweil in, in, um, in Russia, we can transfer consciousness, like Thoth talks about transferring his consciousness into avatars. We can do it now in modern times. So in the future, it's potentially going to come to, to be that you'll transfer your consciousness into an avatar body. That came before you die. You know, before you die. So and that so you can then transfer it over and then you can have that, regain all that, right? Exactly. You, you don't lose anything. You just go into another body. Uh, and Thoth says he had done this a uh, hundred times a hundred. That's a hundred thousand years. Just imagine that. Just stop there for a second, Billy. He says he's done that not a couple times mm -hmm. and not even a hundred times. He's done it a thousand times. He's lived a thousand times and while his body recharged. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so we're talking about history that has, we have to completely try to readjust our understanding of how far back time goes and how far back all of this information goes you know we're living in this little glimpse of what used to be long ago um and i and i think what you said is spot on um one of the things i include in the stage of time is a, is a god chart at the end 
because uh, it, it, including for both. And I, I just wanted mm -hmm. to show that because we're talking yeah. about it. Um, but in, in here, I included some question marks in Sumer because mm -hmm. it's when you trace back Thoth and you trace back some of these incarnations to like Hermes and then long before, you find out, well, how far back did these did these beings incarnate? You know, who were they originally? And yeah. you, we have to completely look at all of these, um, what we perceived as gods, but also we perceived as these great leaders and these great wisdom bringers. We have to really um, re-look at, you know, who are they? Are they maybe an incarnation of, of another great teacher from long ago? And I think, Billy, that is going to lead us perfectly into Atlantis. Because when we were talking about, we are talking about this birthplace of civilization, okay? And I want to just lay that out there before we get into Atlantis so we can keep this timeline going. Sumerian king lists in the area of Genesis, and along with all the other things we're talking about with the evidence from ice cores, they support that these civilizations were well over 10,000 years ago. In fact, if you, again, the Sumerian king list would support that they were more likely 200,000 years ago. And what is important about that is it gives us a time frame to then work with. So then after these civilizations emerged out of Mesopotamia, if you go with what the actual evidence says, it makes the most logical sense that then the grand civilization that was created that we think of as a global civilization was, was what was known as Atlantis. And that was this global maritime civilization that reached all the way around the world and connected to, to all this evidence. And that's why you see so many common traits that we're going to go over uh, throughout the show all over the world. Now, so if Atlantis is the birth, birthplace of where this great global civilization emerged, then it would mean that it has the most amount of ancient wisdom of any civilization that's ever existed. Because it was around the, the longest amount of time with the most amount of knowledge that was freely available. Because as Billy has stated, this whole restarting of civilization um, and the battling of the gods, both second and first generation, meant that information was being fought over, held, um, concealed, destroyed, um, uh, rewritten and tampered with to confuse everybody. So, but back then it wasn't like that. Back then that information was pure and that's what Thoth was trying to preserve. So it, so civilization that emerged out and became Atlantis, this great global civilization, its greatest priest was known as Thoth. And that's where all of this comes from. So Thoth had all the knowledge of Atlantis and he, because he was a master alchemist, he created what is known as the Emerald Tablets out of this indestructible material so that that knowledge that existed from the very beginning, describing everything from, from where it started, could be preserved. But not only that, is those teachings that could help us ascend to reach that higher level, that, that walkthrough guide for reaching the highest state you can, that's what this is. And so what Billy and I are going to be doing that's going to be special is we're going to be dual reading Emerald Tablet number one, which which brings all of this in for the first time, so we can understand the importance of where all of this came from. Okay, so I'm going to start. Emerald Tablet number one starts by saying, "I, Thoth, the Atlantean, master of mysteries, keeper of records, mighty king, magician, living from generation to generation, being about to pass into the halls of Amenti, set down for the guidance of those who came from after." those records of the mighty wisdom of great Atlantis. In the great city of Kior, on the island of Umdao, in the great time far past, I began this incarnation. Not as the little men of the present age did, the mighty ones of Atlantis live and die, but rather from eon to eon did they renew their life in the halls of Amenti, 
for the river of life flows eternally onward. A hundred times ten have I descended the dark way that led into light, and as many times have I ascended from the darkness into the light my strength and power renewed. Now for a time I descend, and the men of Kem shall know me no more. But in a time yet unborn I will rise again, mighty and potent, requiring an accounting of those left behind me. Then beware, O men of Kem, if ye have falsely betrayed my teaching, for I shall cast ye down from your high estate into the darkness of the caves from where ye hence came. Remember and heed my words, for surely I will return again, and require of thee that which ye guard. Even from beyond time and from beyond death will I return, rewarding or punishing, as ye have required your trust. Great were my people in the ancient days, great beyond the conception of the little people now around me. Knowing the wisdom of old, seeking far within the heart of infinity, knowledge that belonged to the earth's youth. Wise we were with the wisdom of the children of light who dwelt among us, strong were we with the power drawn from the eternal fire. And of all these, greatest among the children of men was my father, Thothme, keeper of the great temple, linked between the children of light who dwelt within the temple and the races of men who inhabited the ten islands. The dweller of Unal, speaker of the king to the kings, with a voice that must be obeyed. Who right there from a child into manhood, being taught by my father the elder mysteries, until in the time grew within the fire of wisdom, until it burst into a consuming flame. Not desired I but the attainment of wisdom, until on a great day commanded, command came from the dweller of the temple that I be brought before him. Few there were among the children of men who had looked upon the mighty face and lived. For not as the sons of men are the children of light when they are the not to incarnate in the physical body. Chosen was I from the sons of men, taught by the dweller, so that his purpose might be fulfilled. Purposes yet unborn in the womb of time. Long ago I dwelt in the temple, learning ever and yet ever more wisdom, until I, too, approached the light emitted from the great fire. Taught me he the path to Amenti, the underworld where the great king sits upon his throne of might. Deep I bowed in homage before the lords of life and the lord of death, receiving my gift, the key of life. Free was I of the halls of Menti, bound not by death to the circle of life. Far to the stars I journey until space and time became the naught. Then having drunk deep of the cup of wisdom, I looked into the hearts of men, and there I found the great mysteries and was glad. For only in the search for truth could my soul be stilled, with the flame which within be quenched. Down through the ages I, I lived, seeing those around me taste of the cup of death and return again into the light of life. Amazing. It's, it's so powerful, Billy. Um, I want to just put my thoughts on that um, for, for a second, and then I want you to chime in and we'll just talk mm -hmm. about this for a minute. So to start, this, what, you just, what you just heard is part of tablet number one that was handed down as part of the Emerald Tablets of this ancient wisdom. Now, this wasn't being read, as you can tell, in Atlantis. It was being read in Egypt, because he, he talks about the men of Kemp in it. That means that when Atlantis was being destroyed, Thoth and his trusty uh, man,